Welcome to this episode of Dad Bod History. I'm Jake. We got Jeff and Eric tonight. How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Outstanding. Right. Looking forward to this one. Me too. Me too. So the topic tonight is, is an interesting one because it's, uh, well, one, it was spurred by none other than Joe Rogan. And uh, he posted a meme here. But the, the topic is, do hard times make a tough people or tough men? And conversely, do good times lead to soft men or soft people? And this is an interesting topic because it's kind of one of those, it's almost folklorish in kind of its universal acceptance. You know, I've heard many times from different sources and from different people, you know, well, the, the way countries or civilizations grow and get strong is because they have to go through hard times. And that makes, you know tough people, strong people, and that leads to, to their ascendancy. Conversely, once they reach the top, everything becomes easy and decadent, and that decadence leads to their eventual decline or fall. And so that, that's where we're at tonight, and I want to get into that. But before I do, I, I just got a real quick thing about my family th- tonight. Um, my son was talking to my wife, and my wife was going, Sweetie, you know, son, how do you say, what's, what's mommy's name? And he goes, Bree, right? Which is her name. And then he goes, okay. She goes, what's daddy's name? And he just goes, joke. And I don't think he mispronounced Jake. I, I think, cause he kind of said That's joke. A joke. And then he looked at me and he <laughs> looked back at mom and, uh, Needless to say, I'm like, I don't, that wasn't an accident. That was intentional. He's, that was a shot across the bow. So. He's anyway. testing you. you know, that that yeah. might even lead in a little bit to what we're talking about tonight because it, um, yeah, I, I've got a few. Are you going to give own. him soft, good times or hard times, Jake? What, what's your plan there? You know, he's, he has made me a much more grizzled person since, since, uh, like he, he doesn't quit. Like he's a fighter every, every day is, is, and it's not a bad battle, but every day, like, he's just like, when you tell him to do something, he basically goes, why, why should I do this thing? You know, like I established to me why, because, because I said, so does not work on him at all. He needs to, he needs some sort of reasoning for why he needs to do something or why he should listen. Son, you need to pay your taxes. Yeah. Why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but but that why those kids play that why game for as long as they can get away with it until you realize what they're doing. You just yeah, then you nip it in the bud. But you know something you're talking about. I mean, is he gonna end up being tougher than you, harder than you? So as this plays into our topic tonight, I mean, one of the things that I got to thinking about. I was talking to this earlier. Uh, talking about this earlier with uh, my fiance and you know, the, the thing that came up to me is okay. So, and this whole thing goes tough people make easy times, easy times, make soft people, soft people make hard times, 
hard mm-hmm. times make hard people. So yeah, my grandfather, man that I feared on some level, but I loved with all my heart and I respected deeply. And um, just because there was no other option than to respect him, but he was, um, you know, he was born of the great depression and he fought in world war two. And um, he was on his own at 18. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, that was tough times that, 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 that was hard times making a hard man. And when I say hard man, he's a man who, um, he commanded respect. He had the respect of everybody. He did things right. Um, he did everything he could to make sure that his kids didn't have it as hard as he did. And they mm-hmm. didn't. And then his kids, the generation before me, my mother, she did everything she could, as did my father, to make sure I didn't have things as hard as they did. Sure. So they didn't have it as hard as the people before them. But what are we going to give to our kids? And I think most parents are going to try to make their kids' lives easy. I, I, I don't even know if that's true. I mean, th- th- this is the discussion. Uh, you know, my kids, I would say they had a an, an upbringing that did not lead them to be tough and hard and driven. But when the time came and one by one, they each got kicked out of the house. That kind of, you know, the safety net was gone. And so they had to to toughen up a bit. So um, I, I don't know if they're, you know, I don't know as hard as I am. I'm not as hard as my father was. I'm definitely not as hard as my grandfather was, but um mm-hmm. Where does this go? I guarantee you, my grandfather never heard of a safe space. He never got a trigger warning from the Navy. Um, you know, none of that stuff was going on, you know, for better or worse, no commentary on any of that. But um, we we live in a wildly different world right now than that man came up in. Yeah, that's that's true. And it's interesting because my grandfather served in the Army in World War Two and 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 then my dad was a, you know, he died young at 45 and primarily died young at 45 because he spent a life of hard living, um, doing manual labor, working in, you know, he worked on farms. He worked, he was a truck driver. He was a construction worker. I mean, every day it was, you know, a battle for him physically. Um, and then he didn't treat himself too well. You know, he drank and smoked and, and stuff like that. But um, you know, it was, it was a hard life, but I remember him being very adamant, like wanting better for me. He didn't want me to have to work with my hands like he did. He wanted me to go to college. That was his big driving goal. Um, but with that, you know, it, it's so interesting because I think we look at our fathers and our grandfathers and we say, well, how do we get those qualities that come from being a strong, self-sufficient, independent man. And I'm speaking of men generally, because that's that's always kind of not we can talk about people as a whole. But, you know, how do we get to be like that if we don't have those trials that they had to go through to get there? And I think that's the big question, because a lot of people, you know, will say, I guess anecdotally, they'll say, you know, the thing that's wrong with society is we're too soft, right? That's like a big mark against us. 
because you go, well, look at our fathers and look at our grandfathers. You know, my grandpa fought in World War II. doesn't get much harder than that. Um, it's like, well, outside of igniting a global war, there's got to be another way I can get the qualities of that sort of life without actually going into that sort of life, so to speak. And I think that's the big question just for us individually as families and, and as a society. Or to follow this thing through, the other part of that question is, do if if our country and our society is softening, is that going to lead to hard times? Um, you know, there's historical precedent for for empires growing soft and giving way to barbarians and tougher, meaner empires. I, I well, don't know if that's in our future at this point. Well, and I want to jump in on that because the historical context for this and and where this discussion that Joe Rogan, whether inadvertently or not ignited was the, the hard times, you know, equals hard men, which equals good times, which equals soft men and so on that cycle. Um, and one, there's two really good quotes here that I want to bring up. One is from Voltaire and Voltaire says, history is filled with the sound of silken slippers going downstairs and wooden shoes coming up. So as a society reaches its apex, as it's climbing, you know, a civilization like Rome, they're climbing up the ladder on wooden shoes, working man shoes. And as they go down the stairs, um, they're going down the stairs in silken slippers. So the, the, the footwear of, you know, a soft life or an easy life. And um, basically saying they're being supplanted by a younger, hardier group of people that are going to you know, are coming out of mean times or, or tough times. And so, you know, Babylon was conquered by Cyrus, the great of Persia, and the Persians were defeated by Alexander of Macedon. And then the Macedonians are absorbed by the Romans and then so on and so forth. So all these empires rose and fell. And, you know, to some of these historians, the common thread as well, those empires became soft and decadent and they allowed these other upstart groups to, to take over. Eric, do you got any thoughts or are you just going to sit and muse so provocatively? One of the, well, I thought if I could just seduce everyone with my good looks for a little <laughs> bit. And if you're just listening to this podcast, my apologies, but uh, you just have my voice to work with. Uh, the You sent a video uh, on TikTok uh, mm -hmm. to us and, and the person there said this quote, this idea is basically a historical. The one example being that between roughly 500 AD when the Roman Empire collapsed in the West until about the 14, 1500s, Europe had about the hardest time there, there could have been. It was a thousand years um, in which it was hard times and there were hard men. The problem was for a thousand years, there was no point at which they elevated themselves out of that, right? So you had hard times and that created hard men, but the hard men never managed to make good times. So one of the ideas is, is this generation by generation, some examples of this generational idea would be within a single family, right? You have, you have a king who has risen to power. He's gotten there on his merit and on his knowledge and, and wisdom. He manages a kingdom. He grows that kingdom. He hands it off to his son who has spent his life living as the prince, being given everything, never having to work for it. He then takes the throne, 
squanders it, um, doesn't understand what it takes to run a kingdom, throws it all away, and the kingdom is thrown into darkness and whatnot. And then his son, having to win the kingdom back, can actually make it better, right? So that's a generational look at it. And then there's then there's larger like eras, right? So um, you could say out of the Middle Ages in Europe from 500 to 1500 AD, if those are the hard times, they did lead to people who could actually bring about good times. And while the Eastern world, the Middle East, parts of Africa, parts of Asia during this time were having these great leaps forward in in knowledge and uh, technology and science, and the Europeans were lagging behind. Once they caught up, they they ran away with the game for 500 years. Went and colonized everything. You took technology, took new heights. But at no point did they become softer to the point that they were going to relinquish control. So I think the idea of the cyclical nature is generally accurate. I think it's hard to find cycles that repeat over and over and over within a single like place in history. So what's interesting is, is as I was looking into this, is that it's not so much that the people become soft or decadent. It's, it's almost an indictment against monarchy because as you said, the King hands it off to his son and the son squanders it away. And I yeah. think that's, what's so interesting is Rome wrote, you know, Rome, <clears throat> lasted a thousand years on its own. And then the Byzantines lasted another thousand years. But, and I've, and I've come to this conclusion. I think part of Rome's problem wasn't that the people were soft. I I don't necessarily agree with it. This is dang lead pipes. (laughs) I think the issue is that once they became an empire, that was the beginning of the end because now you have all power consolidated within one person. And yeah, Augustus was a great emperor. But there's a lot of bad emperors in between Augustus and Marcus Aurelius. Like, you know, there's a few good ones, but then there's a lot of chaos because there was a bunch of bad ones. And because this idea of hereditary rule entered Rome, that's when things, I think, started to fall apart for Rome. And, well, and it, it can was, also be, you know, what is the objective of an empire? It's to grow itself. <clears throat> what happens when the empire reaches the limit of its growth? What what then is the objective of the empire? Yeah, you have to shift true. gears from, from growing to maintaining. And a society that has developed on growing an empire, shifting an entire society, millions of people in their objective of growing an empire to maintaining one is, is no easy task. And the British empire ran into this. The Spanish empire ran into this. They created this massive empire and then the maintenance of that empire is is something most uh, populations and societies aren't good at, and it's not an easy task. It takes generations to maintain. It takes a lot more cost. It's a lot more patience, and we don't have patience as humans. So, well, what's interesting is is that brings up another thought I just had here is is going back to Cyrus the Great, um, and one of the rel- or related quotes here is his army after they just defeated the Median Empire and now the the, the Medo, uh, the Achaemenid, 
Achaemenid Persian Empire had now started. This is in Herodotus in his histories, book 9, 122. Um, they're basically saying, hey, we've got all these new lands. Let's go live in these nice new lands and get out of the hills of, of Iran. Um, and so Cyrus said, go ahead and do this. But if you do, be prepared no longer to be rulers, but rather subjects. Soft land breeds soft men. Wondrous fruits of the earth and valiant warriors grow not from the same soil. And then the Persians now realized that Cyrus had reasoned better than they, and they departed, choosing rather to be rulers of a barren mountainside than dwelling in the tiled or the tilled valleys to be slaves to others. So his his idea is like, you know, that we, we conquered the Median Empire, we're conquering Babylon, we're going to conquer all these lands that are far more fertile and prosperous than ours. Why can't we live in them, enjoy the fruits of our labor, quite literally? And Cyrus said, go ahead and do it but you aren't going to be rulers for much longer. And he had this idea that we need to stay seated in the mountains of Persia, modern day Iran, because that will keep us hard. That will keep us strong. Um, and there's something to that. I agree. And I think there's this idea that, you know, we can't, uh, I, on an individual level, we can't let our success ruin us if that makes sense like we can't let you know our our favor or our good circumstance be our be the first step to our downfall and i think that's what cyrus was saying here and i mean what he said literally but i think on a secondary letter level what herodotus is saying is we can't let our success spoil us Are you guys going to jump in? No, I, that sums it up. That's great. Okay. We're good. good episode. Well, I, I. Well, another interesting so, point so is I, Herodotus I, is. Oh, go ahead. Well, he's, well, he's writing a love. If you've read the, if you've read the histories of Herodotus, he's almost writing a love letter to the Spartans. He's like, he talks about how great the Spartans are and how great their society is. And it's almost, it, it's not almost, it's also a dig at the Athenians who he thought were soft and that he didn't like how they ruled and how they were abusing their power. And he looked at the Spartans as this more idealized city state. And so you can kind of see Herodotus is making this point, not just for the Persians, but for, for Greece as well, is that we can't become soft. We can't become corrupt. So Sparta is something I was thinking about when you were talking about the, the growth of the Macedonians and the, the Achaemenid empire, because the Spartans had this society that was built on this laconic right laconia is where they're from mm -hmm. just everything was down to its basics everyone lived very basically it was almost a type of you, you can't really call it socialism or communism but it was everybody had the same right it was uniform everybody adhered to um the same standard so if you're one of the homoioi which were the equals that was the top ten thousand of the spartans those were the ones who were the warriors um, you know, the women were charged with raising tough kids mm -hmm. and they went off to the Agogay at age six or seven. And they went through this tormenting process of 12 years of getting bullied and beat up and trained and made, made hard so they could have the best military in the world. So they could be free. The question is be free to do what? maintain that same standard 
which the Athenians had surpassed. Um, yes, the Spartans could beat the Athenians on the field of battle, but the Athenians had a far superior society in terms of its actual freedom. So, um, you know, if you're a more create, lasting society, clearly, yeah, yeah, and one that has a greater impact on on the Western world. I mean, we as as those in the West who trace their philosophical underpinnings of of the individual and freedom, they get traced back to Athens and to Jerusalem, right? Um, and when we trace back to Athens, we don't trace it back to Sparta. We we like to claim Sparta as one of you know they saved West Western society West the Western world from the Persians. I don't know that they necessarily they they stopped the Persians, but I don't know that it needed to be saved because the Spartan way of life is not something that any Westerner would claim as the highest ideal. What the Athenians had in some of their you know the ideas of democracy individualism is that individuals who freely exercise virtue will act out of a sense of duty to their fellow man and when needed step in and take on a hard life in order to save their community and so that's where it's superior to sparta sure because the spartans it was no this is the way we do things not because you want to, not because you feel the duty to do to do so, because um, everyone else is doing it. If you're the one who doesn't do it, you're gone. Yeah, it's it's an interesting contrast between those two states when it comes to this, because the Spartans were far and away a very tough society, and that crept into other societies, thieves. Um, Macedon, where Alexander came from, right? Like they, this this Spartan way of life, like it it was copied. At least their military was copied. But you know, when we talk about the the Greek legacy, we always, whether consciously or not, we are always referring to Athens as the home of of kind of Greek civilization. Um, so it is an interesting because we like the martial prowess of Sparta, but we like the culture and the the rhetoric and the thought of Athens. And, and so it kind of forms this clash between these two ways of life. But then I, I've got a question for you guys and it it's kind of open-ended. What does it mean to be strong to you? Because I think when we debate this, you know, what is strong or what is a hard man? Like, what does that mean to you? Because I think if we can answer that question, then we can answer whether or not we are stronger or tougher than our fathers or grandfathers and, and what, it, what that means. Like, is it just physical strength? Is it, is no, it something else? Close. No, I mean, you know, in my opening example, I referenced my grandfather and my father, but I mean, I look at my, you know, my great grandmother and my grandmother and um, it, the the same thing it, it happens for the women like my my grandmother who i named my daughter after she was a tough woman and uh mm -hmm. she just did things differently she was raising a tough time like i remember uh oh i don't know i was probably about 15 or 16 and i was at her house and i had an ingrown toenail it was really bothering me and my son had an ingrown toenail and for his we took him to a 
podiatrist who gave him a little topical mm-hmm. something to numb the pain and then a shot and then, okay, you're not sure. going to do it. And then pulled it out all nice. My grandmother, I was complaining about an intone toenail. She was ingrown toenail. She was, okay, come here. We went into the bathroom. She got some scissors out of the bathroom, out of the cabinet and just cut the ingrown toenail out. It yeah. hurt like ever loving hell, but <laughs> that was the end of that ingrown toenail. It literally never yeah. came back. That's is that's might be child abuse now. I don't know, but <laughs> I remember that's just, that, that's just how she handled stuff. That reminds me of the time I was I was at karate and I was I threw a punch and I jammed my thumb when I threw the punch and it was all like out of like it went out of socket and so my dad said come here and he goes and I'm like ah. like he just popped it right back into place. It's like all right, it's fixed now and I was like in a puddle on the floor because it just hurt so bad. But like if it was my kids today. I wouldn't think of doing that and not because I thought my dad is being abusive. Like, I'm like, no, we need to go see a professional. Let's, let's have the pros take care of this. And so it is a, it is a total different worldview from, from then and now. Yeah. But you know, to, to your question, what does it mean to be hard? I mean, my, my grandfather, he wasn't a physically intimidating man. I don't know that he was even necessarily that strong, but um, you know, masculinity and, um, all that that's that's a tough conversation nowadays but when I look at him masculinity that I learned through him was you know he he took care of his family he would have done anything to make things better for that family um he would have sacrificed himself personally a lot I mean he yeah he was tougher but yeah it's to to, to your question what is tough you know and and again with him, it wasn't a physical toughness, but um he's a man who commanded respect. He didn't demand it. He would never say, You have to respect me, but I I had no choice. I mean, he was someone to be respected. And um to me, that that's a lot of what that toughness is. You know, I I would hope that um uh, that, that respect would maintain through the generations, but you know, and, and it's tough to to show this cycle over and over through history maybe um there are certainly examples but i think we can all think and everybody listening to this can think of countless examples of families even just one generation to the next and how this cycle plays out i mean definitely on the micro scale on the macro scale i mean is you know is the u.s soft and are we headed for a fall i i don't necessarily think so but your neighbors, your friends, people, you know, I mean, I, I can think of plenty of examples where I'd see this happening on a much smaller scale. Oh, I absolutely agree. But Eric, what, before we get into that more, what is your thoughts on strength or toughness? Well, I think it, it has more to do with character than it has to do with like physical strength. Right. So how do you respond to, to difficulty? And, and the, mm-hmm. the fact that my grandparents lived through the Great Depression and World War II as, as young people, people that are younger than I am now, um, you know, that they, everyone around them was responding to this great catastrophe and just dealing with it. And and I we assume that they just kind of said, well, that's what we got to do. We're going to do it and we're not going to complain. But I guarantee you they whined and complained about it. A number of things, you know, things are not great and you have a voice and people are going to use it. I, I also like the 
the kind of comparison. Oh, you know, if we if we took a bunch of these 19 year old kids and dropped them into World War II or dropped them into Vietnam, they would. Well, we have a lot of 18, 19, 20, 21 year, 22 year old kids who have been to Afghanistan and Iraq for long stretches of time. Mm-hmm. So you're saying, well, a whole group, a whole generation, you drop men. Uh, sure, they might struggle then. If you dropped me into the 1920s, the 1930s, you dropped me into like the Gilded Age, any time American age, I would struggle because I wouldn't know how to handle everyday things. Just as similar, if we took Abraham Lincoln and dropped him into the 2000s, he'd be completely confused and would not be suited for the time. So I think in terms of strength, it's it's really character. Can you deal with adversity? Um, do you know how to handle that? We see plenty of examples of people not able to do that today, but we've seen that in the past too. People who just, you know, throw a fit over every last thing. And and then you see other people who are just like, well, we're going to adjust. We're going to face up to whatever the challenge is and, and deal with it. Every generation has both, I think. Sure. Um, and you're going to get more of one at certain times in history. Uh, the other thought I had is, is kind of, you know, our generations, you know, I look at the kids today and I'm like, oh, these kids couldn't handle the nineties. No, they couldn't, (laughs) but that's not what they're growing up in. They're having to deal with things that I don't know how to deal with. Mm -hmm. Like when I grew up, when I was 12, 13, Jake, when you were this age, we did not have access to the kind of things that they do on their cell phones. And those things to me are terrifying because I see how it affects them, but they're also navigating that as best they can. They don't have a map for that. Nobody's mm-hmm. drawn a map for how to deal with this. We can provide them a compass, right? What's your true North? What's your, what's your guiding principle? What virtues are you resting on when you deal with these things? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, they're navigating a place that has never been mapped out before. And the things that I see junior high, and I, for those who don't know, I teach junior high for the things that I see junior high girls dealing with on social media, it's horrifying. Yeah. Like that's not true. how, and we've talked about how people treat or act differently online than they do in person. Uh, we already know junior high kids and high schoolers can be awful to each other in person. Then you take away the ability to immediately be punched in the face for saying the wrong thing. And the things that they'll say are just ridiculous. So it's, it's this whole thing. So they are growing a strength that we won't have to deal with. Um, and, and so it's a different kind of, they're, they're going to have different challenges. And if they come through this, the kind of strength they're going to develop is going to be strength of character. I mean, if you got to yeah. deal with cyberbullying and all the BS that uh, goes along with social media, and I mean, if you come through that in good shape, you're you're probably going to be pretty tough. And yeah, again, physically tough, maybe not, but you're gonna you're gonna be able to get through some things. A lot of people dump on some of these these social media guys. Um, a lot of people dump on Elon Musk. A lot of people dump on uh, Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Gary V. But I saw a video by Gary V the other day, and he said, um, you know, parents are always telling their kids, get off screens. You got to get off screens. You got to get off the screens. He's like, I don't understand why. 
their life is going to be lived through these devices. They're going to do the majority of their work through these devices. And we're insisting on them stepping away from it. And I agreed with him kind of, you know, part of me is like also open up a book, you know, go grab a paperback and actually hold the book in your hand. But I mean, kids who are using these devices, getting used to it, they're preparing themselves for that next, whatever that is, unless we wipe out all technology in a catastrophic apocalyptic world war three. And they're all living in a fallout, like, uh, okay. <laughs> Assuming that doesn't happen. <laughs> I, I think we're, we're good there, but it's interesting because Eric, you described a, a strength that is so different from what I was raised up on, both from my mother, my, my, my father and my mother, you know, they were both very strong people, but they're also, their strength was brittle, you know? And I think definitely my grandfather's same way. They were strong and they were tough and they served in war, but like it was a brittle strength and it was susceptible to shattering. And I think what's so interesting is as, as you were talking, um, you know, when we talk about sports figures uh, and my, I always love to say Ray Nitschke, you know, is probably my favorite all time sports figure. That name came to mind as I was thinking about this episode today. And I don't oh. know, I, all I know is his name and that he was tough. So there's this, you know, he, he, um, he was playing in college, I think when they were just introducing face guards or face masks <laughs> to the helmets and they were optional at the time and he didn't want to take it because he said, I'm tough enough. I don't need a face mask. And so like the first game or so that he played where everyone else had face masks and he didn't. And some, I think it was on the kickoff return or punt return, but face mask went right into his mouth and knocked his front teeth out. And so for the rest of his life, he didn't have his four front teeth. And so he had to wear some form of dentures, but the guy was a machine. And there's this- How long was he on the injured reserve after that incident? I don't know if the injured reserve existed yet. So like maybe um, the third quarter while they patched him up for the fourth quarter of the game yeah, and, and fit him yeah. for a mask. But that's the point, right? Like is is like he uh you know, he kept playing and and there's this iconic photo of him and I don't remember the person that he night laid out, but there's this photo of him just standing over like a like a monster over this laid out quarterback. It was and Nick Bonacani. Was it? Yeah. And he just looks terrifying and it's like that's a tough dude and you're like if you put ray nitschke in the nfl today how would he fare right and we like to say well players in the nfl today are bigger stronger faster and all that stuff which is totally true it's like and it is true but it's like ray nitschke didn't get that care that players in the nfl get today they didn't get that weight program, that diet program, that training. To go to they didn't get to five to, the next if day. If they didn't were he? hurt, well, he didn't. No, he, <laughs> he played. But uh, Char, Chuck Bednarek, Concrete Charlie, yeah, he poured concrete because he couldn't make enough money playing football. But the point is, is like Ray Nitschke didn't get to go on injured reserve. He didn't get a chance to heal when he got hurt. And I think that's so interesting. Is is the same thing with. You know, we talk about the greatest generation serving in World War II, and they did, but then they came back and they were just expected to go on with life. And they were messed up. Like PTSD wasn't a thing back then, but we know how bad it is for people today. And it's like, 
you know, my, I know personally my grandfather well, was struggled with his PTSD. Right. Well, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It, it, it existed. It wasn't recognized. It was shell shock, right? That's what they called it. You yeah. had shell yep. shock. And it's like, so people didn't get a chance to heal back then. And I think what's so different with today on an individual level, not necessarily society level, is we we are trying to recognize when people are hurting and say, you need to be comfortable telling us you're hurting, whether it's physically or emotionally or mentally, so that you can heal. And our my initial reaction to that idea, when I first started hearing about it, it's like, well, that's weak. Why would you let people know your weakness? And it's like, well, because if I let you know my weakness and we fix it, then I'm no longer weak or as weak in that area. And I think, you know, the same with Ray Nitschke, it's like, he was incredible, but how much better could he have been had the things that exist today existed back then? And now maybe because he lived a hard life, he wouldn't have been as what we think of as tough as as we do with that generation. But it's like, when I, when I think about it now, I'm like, there was so much he missed out on just as a football player, much less a a man, but just as a football player, because they didn't have those things and you weren't supposed to talk about injuries and you weren't supposed to talk about being in pain. And I think that's something that we're as men specifically, we're trying to condition ourselves out of that mentality. Like my, the text thread that we have, that group chat we have is a low level form of therapy for me, like that I can talk about stuff that I'm struggling with. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't want to call it a safe space, but that's kind of what it is. It's like, I know I can say, here's something I'm going on with. And I know you guys are there for me and that's good. So that's, I guess my rant, sorry. It, it, Jake, you mentioned a, a brittle strength. I, I, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Do you have any examples of uh, what you're talking about there? You know, and, and, and these are probably trite examples that people have used a thousand times when people talk about uh, steel, right? And if it's tempered, it's strong, but it doesn't bend. And it doesn't bend, eventually it'll shatter if it's put under too much stress. Um, conversely, like the willow tree right, can move with the winds and whereas like an oak tree is a lot more rigid. And so if it gets too windy, it'll fall over. Um, And so I guess that's what I mean by a brittle strength. Another dumber example is somebody that never does leg day and only does bench press. Yeah, you got big, strong pecs, man, but there's a whole other part of your body that you're just totally neglecting. But from the outside, that guy looks super strong. So I guess that's what I mean, like by brittle strength. It's like it is strong, but it's also vulnerable in ways that you wouldn't normally think. Gotcha. Thank you. I'm really digging these long, awkward pauses that Eric's they're, they're edit fantastic. Out. <laughs> they're fantastic. Well, I think, you know, when you talk about yeah, you can't show weakness. It's not that they're, you know, strength is, and like I said, strength of character. It's also saying, here's where I'm falling short. Um, what are the ways that I can, you know, use my strengths to to bolster that or find ways to get help with those things? Of course, as we, uh, is it, 
is strength the ability just to withstand negative things happening to you, whether physical or emotional? Or is strength the ability to to allow people to know what might be happening? Allow, you know, it, it, I guess it's not strength, it's courage is what I'm trying to say. You know, if, if I know I have a weakness, um, do I have the courage and character to find ways to make that better rather than just ignore it and cover it up? Right. Mm-hmm. I haven't fully articulated that thought. That's about as far as I got, but pretty good, pretty good start. But I, you know, I mean, again, strength is, I think we think of strength as the ability just to endure. But is it also not the ability to face up to things that that terrify us, including and especially the things that that actually make us weak or the things that we think make us less? Mm-hmm. Right. So, well, oh, that's that's dumb. Can't grow facial hair or not much. Right. Yeah, let's talk about something completely out of your control. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. Speaking, <laughs> uh, I, I got a gift from a student right for Christmas, and it was a it was a beard care kit. <laughs> Did he ask you to send it to Jake? <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder because I haven't known the student long enough for them to have like seen me without my mask you know so they just think you're high maybe they're just like oh yeah he could grow it out he'd look good with one yeah so so the good news is that kid's mental image of you is (laughs) it's one of a real man yeah yeah yeah. Uh, (laughs) a real spartan mensch there it's yeah i guess jeff i got a question for you um because you know your kids are out of the house and so you did, you know, you've gotten through the the raising them part of things. And, you know, once you said, once the kids left the house and they were able, they were kind of able to kicked out, he said, fend, fend for themselves. It's an important point. <laughs> yeah. You know, did you actually physically, did you ever think foot to, to get that last nudge out? No. Symbolically, that would have been did great. Did you ever think? And I don't want to get too far into your parenting, I guess, style, but like, did you ever think as you're raising them, like, well, I'm not raising them to be strong enough or tough enough. Like, was that ever something that kind of occurred to you as you were, as you were going through these things? Yeah, sure. And I just, but you know, I mean, I, and then I tried to remember my own stuff, you know, I mean, I, I also got kicked out of the house as well. There's just a point where, it was over. Uh, I remember the last time I I called my dad for money and he said, I don't have any more money. And well, he had money. He just didn't have any money for me. And that <laughs> yeah. was it. There was, there was no more going to him for money. So, sure. um, you know, it was time to knuckle down and um, man up or cowboy up a little more PC term. You can, uh, you know, you really just got to dig in, man. When there's no safety net. It's amazing what you can accomplish. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about this the whole thing about how we see this thing that we're talking about or the thing we're talking about play out amongst 
families. And so, I mean, I, I look at my own family back to the generations and, you know, one of the things that drives me and drives a lot of men, ostensibly a lot of people as well is, you know, how do you live up to the image that you had of your father when you were a kid? Um, yeah. That is, I mean, for me, you know, and I'm not talking about later in life when you realize your parents are fallible and that's not the end of the world. That's fine. But, you know, there's always, for me at least, there's that image that I had built of my dad when I idolized him. And that was really a lot of the tool that, or a lot of the yardstick that that I measured myself against for a long time. I mean, up until very recently, that was that was one of the overriding driving factors in my life was, you know, can I live up to that image that I had of my dad? And, and I think a lot of men deal with that. And, um, you know, one of the things we're kind of talking about is, you know, mental health and mental health is very important, but I don't know that removing struggle is going to help. And I'm not saying all mental health, initiatives or things like that are going to remove struggle. A lot of that stuff is very needed for people with, you know, medical issues, but mm -hmm. I, I, I think you guys have probably seen kids who things aren't made tough for them. And I, I know my own kids, when things were easy, they were soft, but when they got kicked out of the house and kicked out of the house means, you know, you can either, go to school, do everything my way and I'll pay for everything. Or you can do whatever you want all the time and you don't get any money from this, from, from, from us anymore. So, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's amazing what someone can do when their safety net goes away. So, anyway, I know it's kind of going back and forth between a couple things there, but, um, you know, I mean, Jake, does that ring true for you? I, I you mentioned that you lost your dad when you were pretty young, but I'm I, I, I'm wondering, did that have a big effect on on how you carry yourself and who you are and the, the kind of man that that you try to be? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and because I lost him when I was 16, I think I carried an idealized version of him for a very very long time, saying, well. I'm not as, I'm not the man my dad was physically. I'm not, he was six, six. So I got the short yeah. end of the stick there. Yeah. Quite. What's that literally. about Jake? Well, I not even looking up to his height. I couldn't, I tried hard. <laughs> I tried real hard. I, I ate my Wheaties and everything, but you know, I had this idealized version of him for a long time. And I'm like, I want to be like him. And in some respects, I, I feel like with, with my kids, I have done that, but then there's also, there's, you know, as I've gotten older, he wasn't a perfect dad. And it took me a long time to, to come to terms with that. Um, but, uh, you know, after he passed and, and, you know, my mom and, and my stepdad Flynn, um, you know, my mom was, she wasn't quite booed out of the house sort of thing, but, uh, she was very firm. Like, you're going to make some decisions now and like you need to go to college. That was never really an option for me. Um, but she always made me like pursue those things. And she like made me 
put, she put the onus on me to make sure I did the application or I was the one that applied for the financial aid or I was the one that, you know, did all these things to get into college. And then when I was in college, I was on my own, you know, I, I was living in on campus um, and I had to get a job and I had, so there was still that sense where like, I still had to take a lot of responsibility on myself, but I, I think my mom and, and my dad, when he was, you know, before he passed, they did a very good job of preparing me for that and, and making sure that, you know, I was getting the skills I needed to, to be able to survive once that safety net was gone. And for my kids, I want to be able to do the same thing. It's not that I just want them to have an easy life because there are a lot of parents that just want to remove all obstacles from their kids. Um, but I want to make sure my kids have the ability have the skill, um, have the attitude that, that they can deal with the challenges that are going to come up in their life. Um, you know, and I think that's an important thing, you know, when my daughter wants to try something new, like with learning how to ride a bike or, um, you know, we just bought a skateboard for her because she wanted a skateboard. I'm like, all right, well, here's how we're going to do that. Like, and, you know, and, and she'll have that first fall. And then that kind of scares her from doing it. It's like, no, you got to get back up and you got to do it again. And I think in those moments, we can kind of build that character, Eric, that you were talking about, um, that virtue where it's like, life is hard. <laughs> it's never not going to be hard, but we can help you get the, the strength or the, the ability to deal with that um, in a healthy way, not just in a suck it up way, but, you know, in a healthy way. I think that's just as important. You have a couple kind of additional thoughts and they're, they're semi-related. One is, I guess I want to, I want to go into this a little bit before the other one, but um, you know, I, I talked about coaching basketball earlier and it's something I've been doing for my whole teaching career. Some I didn't expect, but we have a team this year where they have not played school basketball in two years. Mm -hmm. It's been two years, right? So the last time these seventh and eighth graders played, they were in fifth and sixth grade. And we've got a lot of skilled players. Uh, my, the, my other coach that I work with, he and I refereed fifth and sixth grade games two years ago. So we got to watch all of these boys play very skilled players. They ran every team out of the gym. I mean, it was, it was just laughable. They'd pass, they'd shoot, they'd cut inside, they'd score. And they spent, uh, you know, the eighth graders spent two years doing that. The, the seventh graders did that for one year. They just thrashed everybody. So they haven't played in a year and we have them back now. And we have these boys who spent those years dominating everybody they played. And so now we're coaching them and we're trying to get them ready and we're trying to help them understand some of them kept playing club, but club is very, it's very like one-on-one -on -one oriented, like everything's man to man. So if you can beat one guy, you're good. So they've never really had to beat entire teams, like five guys playing a locked in zone. And so we've had two tournaments now in December and they've been good because we're playing bigger schools than they ever played in fifth, sixth grade schools that we can beat, but it, we're going to have to 
be playing a great right. game to get there. And I love these tournaments because we get to get it handed to us. Like we yeah. get to play a game and, and you can beat a team just with your talent. You can play a game against a team and it goes toe to toe. And if you don't play as a team, you get beat because yeah. team beats talent. But we walk into these, these tournaments and my coach, my coach and I, assistant coach and I, we kind of talk about this. We're just like, yeah, this is game. We're going to get it handed to us. We believe we can win this game, but we know what it takes. We know our team might not be there. And so we kind of relish those moments where these boys who are so used to winning just get thrashed up and down the court for 40 minutes yeah, and come back to a huddle with their tails tucked between their legs. They don't know what to do. And we're like, every time we've told you what we expect, every time you don't execute those things, this is what happens. You're fully capable of doing this, but we're giving you the tools until you realize that these tools work until you self like, like absorb that you're just going to get stuck getting beat by superior teams. And it's kind of that thing. They spent so many years having it so good that they got soft, thought they could come in and walk over everybody. And now they're having hard times. So I'm hoping we can turn that around and say, this is what it takes for you to get there. And hopefully they, they receive it. Um, and if they do, then we can have a lot more success. Conversely, there's a shared trauma that we all have uh, when it comes to hard times. And that was our outdoor rec soccer league that we played on. Where week in or week out, we were almost destined to lose that game. It was so much fun. It was so much fun though. And it's like, it didn't matter to me if we lost. I mean, I'd liked to win. And the few times we did, it was like pure joy, but it was also, there's something about, you know, as, so to speak, being punched in the face to see what you're made of and there's striving something, for something. <laughs> there's you know, something to say, all right, well, they just got popped in the face. Let's see how they respond. And there is something to that. And it's like, if everything was easy, it wouldn't be fun. And yeah. I think that's, that's where, you know, like we said, we don't want to remove strife because one, you can't life is too hard. Even, even in this wonderful blessed land that we live in with technology that our grandparents could never even have imagined in abundance. Um, it's still really hard <laughs> living yeah. like it, like, like life doesn't stop for you. Um, and so you don't want to try to remove that because you can't. And, and even if you could, it wouldn't be good for you. Um, oh, a, a life free of adversity is not going to work out. I mean, you know, Jake and Eric, you guys, the last thing you just talked about, you talked about, you know, creating deliberate adversary or deliberate adversity for Jake, for your kids. You know, they've got a. They've got to go through some tough times and Eric mm -hmm. for the basketball team, you know, the, these kids, it's going to be tough on them, but they're going to come out the other side yeah. better, probably, mm -hmm. hopefully. Yeah. The water balloon war was purposeful adversity. <laughs> Is that right? How so? I, I mean, I mean, it was just, we were just putting obstacles in front of their way and with very little instruction. It was a hard day for those kids. I remember sitting at the end and for those that don't know the water balloon war it was an all day World War II based simulation activity we used to do. And 
you know, by the end of it, I had kids showing up as early as seven 30 to go through. Those were kind of your team leaders and getting them. And then we just gave them what they needed. And then they turned around and, and tried as best they could to hand it off to the people that were kind of on their teams. Well, and it was and so then, fun. And then by the end of the day though, like three 30, they're all in my classroom. I, I, every single time I've had one or two kids just sitting there with their eyes closed, like, like standing up and, and sleeping. Cause they're just, they've never had a day that was just so go, 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 no stopping. And everything requires some physical exertion, but everything required like a thought process and a, and a mental exertion. Um, well, yeah. and it reaped rewards because, you know, those students would come back, Jack being one of them, mm-hmm. right? Like he loved it so much and he was so good at it. And not because it came easy to him, but he really excelled at that. And he came back to help out with subsequent years yeah. of the water. Boom. Like, like it was this trial for everybody. And because it was a trial, it has this long lasting benefit, um, you know, for those kids and and now adults. Um, And I think that shows that, you know, adversity, even though it's in a controlled setting um, and the the stakes are relatively low here is a good thing. Um, But you don't want to just make life hard for the sake of it being hard. You know, there's got to be some sort of grander purpose or end goal. Yeah. No, it's like, it's like basic training. Everybody in the military goes through nine to 15 weeks of deliberate hardship. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some training in there for other stuff, but that is a, that is deliberate hardship for everybody in the armed forces. Mm-hmm. And two of my kids and everybody I know who's ever been through it, whether it's, you know, the advanced seal training or even just basic training is it's still extremely difficult. And the military, the U.S. military, militaries through history, they've been doing this for a long time. Very little has changed in terms of basic training over the last, I, I would say, the last hundred years. I mean, there, there's tweaks here and there all the time, but and and the concept is as old as time to mm-hmm. put your army through the crucible before you send them in the battle. You, if we send them in a battle like this, it's not going to go well. We need to toughen them up. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I mean, and. and- it's but it it's so interesting is how I don't know if this is the right way to a right way to put it, but it's like I, I read these articles and I see these um servicemen and women on TikTok and other social medias, and they'll talk about how basic training has changed or service in the military has changed. And the physical aspects, like you said, Jeff, are pretty unchanged. Like what worked back then works today largely. Um but what has changed is how they address the mental aspect or the psychological aspect of that training and, and making sure that they have a, a more complete soldier or seaman or airman, you know, so to speak. Like it, they don't want to just say, all right, well, you're just a rock 'em, sock 'em killing machine. Right. We, we want a complete person here. And, and, and also, and the other side of that, though, is in something that I don't think they do a good job on now, clearly, is you ramp those kids up to get them to that space. And then when they're done, they're out and they don't necessarily frequently, they don't have the tools to ramp back down. 
And mm-hmm. I mean, especially um, these young men and women who are going to war zones and they're seeing sure. combat and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden you know, they get an injury and they're just out and they're just supposed to go home. There's no way there's, there's gotta be ways to bring these kids. And that's what they are overwhelmingly is their kids. We got to mm-hmm. bring them back down so they can, I, I, I mean, not even just get back into society, but be able to talk to their friends and family again and, figure out what their life is like. So, I mean, as great as the military is at getting these guys ready to do what they want them to do, they don't do a good job at taking care of them after they've had them do that job. Yeah. I I think that would be probably one of the biggest indictments on the American military is after service, getting them acclimated to life outside of service because so much of their life is in a world that I cannot imagine, you know, even in times of peace, what, what Jack is doing, I like, I can't fathom it because I have no possible experience of what it's like to serve. Um, and to say, all right, well, you're done. Come back home. You know, here's your VA. Yeah, good job. Here's your ribbon. Yeah. Here's your VA loan and in your GI bill and good luck. It's like, well, no, I mean, it's, it's a totally foreign concept. And to say, all right, well, you're just a civilian now. I, I couldn't imagine making that transition back without some sort of help. You know. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I don't know if you guys want to tie this up, but as Eric, you were talking, um, this reminded me of a quote from possibly the greatest coach of all time, Vincent Lombardi. Um, and he has this quote. More than winning is the only thing. I I like that one, but this is always my favorite Lombardi quote. And I think it's really applicable here um, as far as like adversity, but for purpose. Um, Because I think adversity is a good thing, but adversity with purpose is a much better thing. And I think as we live in a country now that is so blessed and life is so much easier um, than it was for our parents or grandparents and and before then, um, we need to have some adversity in life, but it's got to be purposeful. Um, And so Lombardi says this, I firmly believe that any man's finest hour, the greatest fulfillment of all that he holds dear is that moment when he has worked his heart out in a good cause and lies exhausted on the field of battle, victorious. So it's okay to put yourself through the ringer, but uh, you want to be doing it for, for some purpose other than just the struggle itself. So I'm going to disagree with Jake on that because I think John Wooden is the greatest coach of all time, but he has a a similar quote regarding, you know, what success is. And it's, you know, it's like success is being satisfied knowing you did everything you possibly could with what you were given uh, and walking away, knowing that you, you, that, that is success, right? Like, And that's something that I've talked to, you know, my players about, you know, winning and losing is one thing. Being successful. You can lose a game and and know that you were successful at doing what you attempted to do. I've won plenty of games where I've walked away unsatisfied with how the team performed because they failed to do what we asked them to do. They failed to execute. So, um, but no, I think that's a great quote by the second best coach of all time. 
Okay. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it, I guess. Uh, well, with that, let's, uh, let's wrap up uh, this episode of Dabot History. And uh, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, signing off, I'm Jake, got Jeff and Eric, and we'll see you all next time. <laughs>